0: Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We get to gather here to worship you. We thank you for your word, that you're a God who who communicates, shares your heart, your will with us. And I pray that you would give us receptive hearts. May the Holy Spirit work to help us open ourselves, to be willing uh, to receive it, and that you would work it out in our lives, please. We thank you for... Jesus. And I pray that as we look at a moment in His earthly ministry here, that it would strengthen us and encourage us and and draw us to Him in faith. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Listen, if you have uh, ever looked at the world recently and wondered uh, in the face of all this spiritual famine spiritual darkness and lostness around us, what, what difference could I possibly make? This message is for you. Sometimes it's just the, the general news out there. Sometimes it's things we encounter in our own lives. Our family this past week or two is walking through with th- three different broken situations. Two broken marriages, uh, one young man who attempted suicide, Friend of ours who's in jail right now after a DUI. When you walk through things like that and you love those people, they can even you can start to feel the weight of it. I found myself Friday morning in the Psalms, and I forget which one it was, but there were two phrases I was just clinging to because you are at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I need that. Uh, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. I, I need that. Maybe it's situations with friends. Maybe it's in your family. We're, we're walking through the daily weariness and fatigue of helping a little one understand who's the authority in our home right now. <laughs> That's a Two, three-year-old stage. I don't know what it is, but whatever you're looking at and you're wondering how in the world yeah, can God use me to make a difference in this situation, this message is for you. As we, as we look at this encounter, I want you to put yourselves in the sandals of the apostles on this day. I want you to feel the the sand in their toes. I want you to listen to what they heard. I want you to, to see what they saw. and Maybe even feel what they felt. John 6, 4 tells us that this happened during Passover season, which means it was March or April, just like it is here, though it's hard to believe with all that white stuff out there. So let's enter in to what they faced that day. Verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. It says they returned. Returned from where? Well, if you think back a couple weeks ago, Mark 6, 7 through 12, Jesus had sent them out two by two on a mission. And here they want to give him a progress report, tell him what had happened. Verse 31, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Jesus was taking them to rest. Why? Because they were tired. Matthew tells us that Jesus had just received and was processing through the news of John the Baptist's death. So even he was tired. They went away to get rest. Now listen, we all know, as believers in this world, we're, we're passing through on a mission, right? We have a job to do. As one man put it, and we shared a couple weeks ago, we are here on a short journey for Jesus, not a long journey on our own. We're here for the Great Commission. There is work to be done. That's why if all we do is rest... We get restless. We know there's more to this life, right? But there's another danger on the other side when all we do is work, 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 work. I like what Vance Havner said. He said, if we don't come apart to rest, we will come apart. We are built to to rest. Jesus knew this and he's caring for his guys. He's taking them apart to rest. But their rest was cut short. I read that, that part of the encounter, and I thought about Carolyn, and all she does is a mom at home, and maybe you other moms relate too. You, you all know what it is to have your rest cut short. Many of you do in whatever your field is. Life comes at you, sometimes even when you're trying to rest. The challenges don't stop. The opportunities don't stop rolling in. Verse 33 says, many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. From Capernaum to Bethsaida, what's going on here? These people that went by foot, they had to go 10 miles around the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. They had to cross the Jordan River while Jesus and his weary guys have a four mile straight shot across the Sea of Galilee. But the people on foot beat them. They were, they were eager to, to, to meet them there. So now, next to the Sea of Galilee, there is a sea of people. Verse 44 says, 5,000 men. Other gospels add that there are women and children there as well. Some estimate it may have been 10,000 or so people that show up before these, these weary travelers. How would Jesus react? How would the apostles react? Let's look first at Jesus. Verse 34 says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Some of you know that verse because it's our memory verse for March. But I want to zoom in on the fact that he had compassion on them. Sometimes we get compassion wrong. We think of it only as a feeling, like I I feel for that person, and then we move on. Biblical compassion is that plus a whole lot more. I want to give you what William Hendrickson said about this, because I think he paints it well. In Jesus' mind, as he looks at this crowd, he, he probes their sorrows. He understands them. And in his heart, he takes their burdens. He loves them. With his will, he removes their affliction. He heals them. With him, sympathy is not just a feeling, it's a tender feeling transformed into helpful action. He teaches them, heals them, and feeds them. That's Jesus. He had compassion on this crowd, even though they had come there to rest. What about the apostles? Maybe you and I relate to them a little more. <laughs> When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. They're saying that to Jesus as they look at that crowd. It's getting late in the afternoon. Dinner time's coming. There's 10,000 hungry people, and who knows? Maybe even some of them were getting hangry. Okay, and they're like, Jesus, it is late. Verse 36, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It makes sense humanly speaking, right? Verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. What was going through their minds at that moment as they look at this mass of people? You give them something to eat. Like, come again, Jesus. Like, did I hear you right? Like the just the logistics are are mind blowing. That's why they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Most believe that's 200 days wages just to give each one something. 200 days wages to buy that much food. And that's if if you could find enough and if you could go buy it and get it back in time, right? Besides that, Jesus, remember why we came here? Like we came here to to rest. Can't we just send them away? Why did he tell them, you give them something to eat and create this tension? He already knew what he was going to do. We learned that in John 6 verse 5. It says, he asked Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Why did he choose to involve them? Why not just do it himself? Why this tension? Because it's often in the tension that we learn, right? I think of an old John Wayne movie when he met a, a woman and her son and the son was about 10 years old and he didn't know how to swim. You, you remember that part in the movie? John Wayne picked him up and threw him in a pond. <laughs> Why? Not to drown him, but so that in the next 30 seconds that boy figured out how to swim. The, the, the tension of the situation helped him to learn. He's not just reaching the masses, right? He is training his team for ministry. They they are in training for ministry. He wanted to show them that, guys, even in the face of impossible odds, even in your own lack, even in your own weakness and weariness, I can use you to be a blessing. I can use you to be a blessing. You say, well, how did he do it? How did he use them? He asked them, what do you have? What do you have? And and they brought it to him. Verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And then when they had found out, they said five and two fish. John 6, 8 tells us it was Andrew that found a little boy. Verse 9, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, most of us, when we think of loaves of bread, we think of the big two-pack at Costco right there, are these big, beefy loaves of bread. That was not likely the case here. These were barley loaves. Number one, that's the bread of the poor people. They were flat and small. And just keep in mind that this little boy had five in his own lunch. They were small. The average person could sit down and eat several of these. And the fish were not like something that you see on wicked tuna. Not, not something that would, would uh, feed a table or two. Most believe that the Greek word translated fish here is more like sardines or something. More like a little pickled fish to kind of put on the bread to to help get it down. This is a a small lunch for a little boy. And you can see the people around the boy, like probably some like, oh, bless his little heart. That little guy thinks that little lunch is going to feed all these people. Isn't that cute? Isn't that so cute? Listen, in the hands of Jesus, what, what little they brought. Became a miracle. What little they brought became a miracle. Verse 39. He commanded them all to sit down in groups. On the green grass. So they sat down in groups. By hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And broke the loaves. And watch this. He sends his disciples out. To share the blessing. With the people. Verse 41b, he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And the the tense of that gave them in the Greek literally means he kept giving them to the disciples. So you see the miracle happen. He just keeps giving it to them, and they keep going out, passing it out. And I'd love to be inside their heads as they did that. Just minds blown, right? He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. Mission accomplished. Verse 43, They took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. The results speak for themselves. Twelve baskets of leftovers. It's been pointed out that there was more at the end than there was to start with, right? I think maybe each apostle, maybe each apostle carried one of those baskets away. You know, with the smell of bread wafting into their noses. Minds blown at what Jesus had just done and that they got to be a part of it. But I think about those, those 12 empty baskets. In and of themselves, an empty basket can do nothing to satisfy anyone's hunger. But you know what? All that changes when when the basket is filled with bread. Right? Now think about 12 apostles. In and of themselves, could they satisfy anyone's need for eternal life? No. Not in and of themselves, but all that changes when the 12 apostles carry Jesus. Right? See, it's not the container. It's what's in the container. Think back. When they went out earlier in the chapter on that mission, two by two, what did the apostles have to offer Jesus at that moment? They had themselves and little more. In fact, he had made sure it was that way. He said, you take no bag, no food, no money. Depend on me. Had themselves with all of their imperfections, all of their confusion, all of their slowness to learn, but they brought themselves to Jesus. And in His hands, what little they had became a miracle. How? He filled them up with what they needed for the mission. Mark 6 7 says, He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Then He sent them out to share the blessing of ministry. And they did. Mark 6 12 and 13, if you remember, it says, They went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Mission accomplished. Because they carried the message and power of Jesus. Now since they had just returned from that experience, maybe some of us in the room are thinking, hey, they should have been more on the ball when this challenge came up. Like when they looked at the size of the crowds and Jesus said, you give them something to eat they should have said, hey, he, when he sent us out on the mission, he gave us what we needed, even though we felt overwhelmed. So he's going to do the same thing here, right? So, Jesus, what do you have in mind? They should have just asked him that, right? But listen, I, I think about these guys, and I think if we're all honest, maybe we're not so different from them, Right? Sometimes, no matter what God's done in our lives, how many times He's done it, we too can be slow to learn, slow to trust, slow to remember who we're working for and with, looking only to human solutions instead of looking to Him. If we're honest, can we admit that we too need constant reminders of who He is and the power He has? So let's talk about him. Let's talk about Jesus and what this miraculous feeding reveals about him. In John 6, 8, and 9, when when Andrew brought the little lunch to Jesus, even he said this. He said, what are they for so many? Right? But listen, just as Andrew doubted that this little boy's lunch could feed this mass of people, you remember earlier... Just a little bit earlier in Mark, the people in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth had doubted that the Nazareth carpenter could be the savior of the world. Mark 6, 2, and 3, it came out like this. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter? They took offense at him. In Luke chapter 4, Luke tells us when he preached in their synagogue, he read from Isaiah. And then he said, those prophecies are about me. They tried to throw him off a cliff. How dare the carpenter from Nazareth attach such claims to himself? Well, this miracle right here gives us a glimpse of how and why he dared to attach such claims to himself. It reminds us three things about the Nazareth carpenter. Number one, that the Nazareth carpenter is also the creator. He's also the creator. People think, how how could he possibly create enough food for thousands of people out of a little boy's lunch? Yeah, that was child's play. He created the whole universe. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He's the creator. He's also the Lord my shepherd. The good shepherd of John chapter ten. Listen to Psalm 23, one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now look at Jesus in verse 34 in our passage. Jesus had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Psalm 23.2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Verse 39 in our passage, He commanded them to sit in groups on the green grass. He leads me beside still waters. On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus provided food and rest for these weary souls. But it wasn't as physical food and healing. Psalm 23.3 says, He restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He also showed these lost sheep the way. He taught them. Verse 34 says he began to teach them many things. Luke 9.11 tells us what he was talking about. He says he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He's the creator. He's the good shepherd. And finally, the Nazareth carpenter is the bread of life. He's the bread of life. Verse 42 says, they all ate and were satisfied. Thousands of people had plenty. I read that and I wonder even if some of the the men in the group kind of loosened their belts after that big meal, like you do after Thanksgiving. Anybody? Nobody's going to admit it. They had more than enough. They were satisfied. But John tells us that on the next day, in John chapter 6, when Jesus shared the meaning of the miracle... It was about so much more. So much more than just a a full belly. Listen to the words of Jesus. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Where his body would be broken and his blood would be poured out for the sins of the world. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying the sustenance of physical food is is short-lived and it, it is fleeting. I came to bring everlasting life. I'm telling you, if you're looking for lasting satisfaction and you're tired of coming up empty in this world, there's only one place, one person Where you can find satisfaction that lasts for all eternity. It's in Jesus Christ. The the bread of life. That's the only place. I love the details in God's plan. I think about Jesus being the bread of life. And I think about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Many of us know the Bethlehem connection to David's family. And that's an important one. But did you know what Bethlehem means? means house of bread. It means house of bread. And then when He's born, He's placed in a feeding trough where hungry animals come to eat. God is so intricate and detailed as He puts His plan together, pointing us to the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Have you turned to Him in repentance and faith as Savior and Lord? Listen, as we near the end here, we've looked at the little the apostles had to offer in the infinite supply of Jesus. I want to close by making this personal for Christ followers today, okay? If Jesus asked you this morning, what do you have? What do you have? What would, what would you say? If you take inventory of your time, your talents, your treasures, what do you have to offer? Is it small in your eyes? Is it insignificant? A drop in the bucket? Especially when compared to all that's going on around us in our world? Are you tired? Are you overwhelmed? Weary by the obstacles? I want to encourage you this morning. Bring it to Jesus anyway. Bring it to Jesus. Remember that in His hands, through simple childlike faith, what little you have can become a miracle. To become a miracle in his hand, as it does, he calls us each to go out and share the blessing. Y'all know what's coming, March seventeenth, St. Patrick's Day. Yes, rubens and corned beef and cabbage, leprechauns. You know what's about so much more than that. It's about a historical man we know as St. Patrick. It's often tied in with Ireland. But did you know he wasn't Irish at all? He he was born in Roman Britannia. At the age of 16, he was kidnapped by Irish pirates and made their slave in Ireland for six years. Eventually, he escaped. And as he was in training for ministry, he had a dream one night in an Irish accent. I'll I'll try it. And his dream heard an Irishman say, we appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. The very people who had kidnapped him. I believe God was calling him there to spread the gospel of Jesus. He was 48 at that point in time that was already past a man's life expectancy. How did he feel in the face of that call from the Lord? Did he feel small? Did he feel overwhelmed of the odds of speaking to pagans? had kidnapped him however he felt he had faith in the lord that it was the lord's call and he went one scholar estimates that 120,000 people at least were converted in ireland through the ministry now was it the mighty saint patrick sometimes we hear that name and we feel like we can't relate St. Patrick, I'm sure God could use him. You know what, I think sometimes we use the, the word saint in improper ways in the church, as though it's reserved only for a few Christians. When you read the New Testament letters of Paul, he makes it clear that every believer is a saint, set apart to God. In fact, Patrick wasn't even his original name. You know what it was? Maewon Socket. Maewon and I think about that, and I think that God uses... Maywin Sockets and Scott Mitchell's and, and Daryl Hudson's and, and Stephen Horstman's and Sandy Fortin's. Why? It's, it's the power of Christ within them. There's a prayer associated with him that shows his focus on the power of Christ. It says, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. You get the idea? It's Christ. And listen listen to what Charles Erdman said. When the Savior commands and blesses, the meager resources of His servants are found adequate. Their conscious helplessness is frequently the time of His greatest power. Now think about that as you look out at the world maybe trials in your own life right now, and maybe feel helpless. Realize his, his power within. You say, what does that look like today? Well, one way I think it looks is don't underestimate the power of prayers brought in faith to this Almighty God in the face of what we look at in our world. One thing I think about is how overwhelming all the deception in the world is. You look around, whether it's through the media or just in general, there's so much deception. There are spiritual lies. There are moral lies. And sometimes there are just flat-out factual lies. And sometimes we feel overwhelmed in the face of all the deception. What do we do? One thing we could do is pray. Carolyn has a prayer list at home. And one of the things she prays on there is, Lord, raise up godly journalists who would seek the truth And speak the truth in the face of all this deception. We celebrated last week as we saw one answer to that prayer. How many of you have heard of Carrie Lake, Fox 10 News in Phoenix? 22 years on that channel. Last week she put out a video statement saying she had left Fox 10. She thanked the company for her employment there. But she went on to say in the past 22 years journalism has changed. Recently, I have found myself reading news copy that I knew was not true and I was not comfortable carrying on in that fashion. She went on to say it was scary stepping out of a 22-year career, but I know God will take care of me. Answer to prayer. We can take our, our little prayers to an almighty God in faith. Don't underestimate that. I think about a preschool near here, a Christian preschool, where we went to get Luke's application the other day. He'll start in the fall, Lord willing. And there's a retired couple that oversees that Christian preschool. There were 18 little ones in a circle having fun. And Since our older son Evan had been there, I know that they don't just learn letters and numbers there. They, they learn about Jesus Christ. And as I talk with that elderly gentleman there about the preschool, he said, this is what I'm doing with my retirement. But how awesome. How cool. It makes me think about the folks who spend time with our kids in this back room and on Wednesday night in the youth group. It's one thing to say, oh, kids growing up in this world, it's so dark. How... It's another thing to say, yeah, God's calling me to get involved in making a difference and pouring Jesus and His truth into those kids. That's one way. What is God calling you to bring in faith to Him? Will you bring it and will you trust that Jesus can use it. Never underestimate prayers, actions, and obedience when they're put into the hands of an almighty Savior. One closing thought. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, the Dr. Luke, also recorded this event. The feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. Later on, he went on to write the book of Acts. Acts. In Acts 4.4, 4, as he talks about the early work of the church, he says, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And I just wondered if, if Luke got to that number and set his pen back down in the inkwell. I've heard that number before. Oh, God used those, those men to bring physical sustenance years earlier to 5,000 plus. Now he's using them To bring the bread of life. Praise you Lord. Father I thank you. Thank you for this message. Because if we're honest there are times where. Just like the apostles. We feel overwhelmed. And and all all of our first inclinations. Are to try to think of human solutions. And then when we realize those don't work. Sometimes we we just want to give up. But sometimes. Our lack of faith causes us to forget about who you are. You are creator, Jesus. You are the Lord, our shepherd. You are the good shepherd. You are the bread of life. Help us remember who we work for and with. That even though we're we're humble baskets, we have the bread of life within us. Even though, as Paul said, we're jars of clay, we have this treasure of Christ within us to show that it's your glory and your power, not our own you can use us for the purposes of your kingdom and you're still working in this fallen world in Jesus name amen